0: amen good morning everybody At the end of that last song I was thinking how in the world do I shift gears from this exaltation of Christ and this uh, savoring of the gospel and just delighting in the gospel how in the world do I shift gears from that into another talk about giving uh and 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 uh I don't want to I don't want to shift gears into a talk about giving uh and I want you to know that, that, that it's not just to talk about giving that we're going to have again this week. It is an exaltation of the gospel and a glorying in Christ that we talk about in giving. Paul, Paul made that clear last week in the text. As he talks to the Corinthian church about what to do with their finances and how to think about this offering in support of the saints in Jerusalem, he doesn't just say look to the Macedonians and their sacrifice. He doesn't just say look to the need of the saints in Jerusalem. He says look to the cross. Look to the cross and think of the gospel and how generous and sacrificial God is and how he gives himself for our sakes, how Christ who was rich became poor for our sakes and through his poverty we become rich. It's because of the gospel that we Give. It's by the gospel that we give. And so we don't have to switch gears, right? We don't have to switch gears from the gospel to a talk about giving. We stay in the same gear and we think about the gospel and we translate that, that spiritual, deep, profound, eternal truth. We translate that into a very practical act of worship in giving. Does that make sense to you? So I don't want you to think that these two things are totally different. I think that was the whole point of last week. They're not totally different. This is not an issue of money. This is a gospel issue. It's a Christ issue, it's a cross issue, and we look to the cross and we are motivated by that generosity and by that sacrifice, and so we give with generosity and we give in sacrifice, right? Paul said in doing that, last week he said in the text, in doing that we prove our love and we prove our faith, and we should look for and seize every opportunity that's given to us to prove our faith and to prove our love, because after all, what is it worth if we just say, right? What if we just say... I love God, and I love people. What if we just say, I trust Jesus? What if we just say that with our lips, but we never do anything with our lives? I think it's empty. I think scripture would say that kind of faith does not save you. But faith proves itself in action. Action of love and concern and relief and generosity and sacrifice. I think that's consistent. So don't shift gears today. Don't shift gears from a talk about the cross to a talk about giving. Stay in that same gear and think of the cross as we talk about giving. Fair enough? Do you have your Bibles this morning? Good. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where you need to go. We're going to cover a ton of ground today. Some of you are going to look at this, and as we read through it, you're going to check out You're going to say, wow, this is really detailed, and and what what do I care about these three guys who are going to Corinth to receive this gift? What do I care about Paul's desire for it to be all done with integrity and transparency? What do I care? Um, You should care a lot about this, and we're going to talk a lot today about what this text says. There are three very clear points in the text today. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about First Baptist Church. Some of you are are new to us. Some of you are visiting with us. You're going to learn a lot about how we operate as far as money goes at First Baptist Church today. And some of you are going to say, I don't care. I don't care. You should care. You should care. We want you to be able to give with confidence that your finances, your gifts, your generosity, your offerings are being treated well are being handled well. And everything's above board, and everything's transparent, and there is accountability every step of the way. That should be important, so that you will give with greater confidence. Make sense? So look at it in the text today. We want to make sure we're rightly motivated today. We want to, sh- want to make sure that we're completing the task, and we want to make sure that we act with integrity in the text today. Starting in verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. Paul says to the church at Corinth, God says to us I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal... "...but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel has spread throughout all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself, and to show, you, show our readiness. Taking precaution..." Listen to this carefully. "...taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift." For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with him our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love. And of our reason for boasting about you. Let's pray together. God, help us today. Help us not to shift gears from a focus on the cross, a glorying in the gospel, a meditation on your love and sacrifice for us. God, help us not to shift gears as we talk about money now. But help us to stay in that same gear with that same focus as we talk about money. We know we know that this is not a money issue, it's not an offering issue, it's not a finance issue, it's a gospel issue. And we want that to be clear. Help us make that clear. Help that to be clear to us. We want to understand your word today. We want what we do at First Baptist Church with money to be honorable in your sight ultimately, but also in the sight of men. We want to be careful. We don't want to give anyone a reason to doubt, a reason to accuse A reason to have little confidence. We want to see this all as a glory to you. And we want to do all of this as glory to you. So help us today to understand. Help us to apply. Help us to see and savor the cross. And live in every area in response to that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So there are three parts of the text today, three very clear sections of this text. The first one talks about the importance of completion. The second one... um The second one talks about the importance of equality. And the third one talks about the importance of integrity. And uh, the second one may throw you off a little bit. You may start thinking, well, are we talking about communism here or some kind of thing like that or some kind of socialism? No, we're not. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the way God's kingdom works. And so we want to be careful with that. We're not trying to make a political talk at all today, just trying to preach the word. So let's talk first about the importance of completion. Look what Paul says in verse 10. This is verses 10 to 12, by the way. Verse 10, Paul says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. I want to stop there and say what I said last week. Paul is going to be very careful as he talks to them about this gift, as he talks to them about this offering. He's going to be very careful not to boil down this generosity and sacrifice, this proof of their love. He doesn't want to boil it down to mere obedience to a command. He doesn't just want to say, give this much or else. He doesn't want to do it that way. He wants them to want to give like what happened in Macedonia. The Macedonians were in a mess. They didn't have any money. They were being persecuted. They were being oppressed. It was trouble. And yet they gave and they gave and they gave with great generosity, with great joy, Because they wanted to. In fact, the text earlier in chapter 8 says they were begging for the opportunity to participate in this gracious work. They were begging us to give. Paul says, I want that to happen for you guys. I want you to want this. I don't want you to do it out of mere obligation. And hear me clearly, that's what we want here at First Baptist Church. We don't want when those plates go around in a little while for you to say, Okay, here we go, I'm doing it again, just like I do every week. And I don't want to, but the preacher says I have to. If that's the way it is, this this could be hazardous to my family but if that's the way you give don't give don't we can do without it but rather give because you want to give because there is joy in your heart because of the gospel of jesus christ that has changed you forevermore so paul says i'm I'm telling you this i'm giving this as a suggestion i'm urging you this way i'm not commanding it although he could right if paul wanted to he could say i command that you give 25 percent.' period end of story do it or else But that's not the way he talks. That's not the way he operates here. He wants them to want this. Not to do it out of obligation, but to desire it. Notice also that he talks about why they should give. Look in verse 10. He says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire it. It seems like the church at Corinth was already familiar with the needs in Jerusalem. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians, which we did 10 years ago, right? It seems like a long time ago. If you read 1 Corinthians, it seems like they already knew about the problem. They already knew about Paul's desire to take the collection. In fact, it seems in 1 Corinthians like they had asked him a question about it that he then answers in 1 Corinthians. So Paul says, you guys started this a year ago. You, you, you were familiar with this a year ago. You already began this work a year ago. Now it's important that you bring it through to completion. It seems in this text that not much has happened in the last year. It seems like they got off to a great start, and man, they came out of the blocks, and they were going good, and it was fresh on their minds, and they had been thinking about it a lot, and they started collecting money every week, which was their plan. And then over some time, it kind of faded into the background and became less and less important. It became maybe less and less urgent. It became a back burner issue and not a front burner issue. And they kind of have dropped the ball in the last year. And so what Paul is telling them now is that they need to finish strong. They need to go ahead and complete the work that they have done. Look what it says at the end of verse 10. It's interesting the word order that he uses. Because he's going to take these two phrases and he's going to flip them back and forth a couple of times. And that's important for us today. Look at the end of verse 10. He says, You who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this but also to desire to do it, right? So he says, you were doing it, and that's good, but more importantly, you were desiring to do it. And that's, that's as important as the actual doing. So notice here he says, he says the desiring was there, and that's exciting, and the doing was there also. He flips those things backwards, and then in the next verse, he turns them back around. Look at verse 11. He says, but now finish doing it also, just as there was readiness to desire it, so may there also be the completion of it by your ability. So this is what he says. He says, don't just do it, want to do it. Don't just do it, want to do it. Don't just do it, desire to do it. And then he flips it around and he says, don't just desire to do it, do it. And that's going to be two of our applications today. There are some of us that have issues in our lives that we are doing, we are faithfully begrudgingly, bitterly doing those things that we know we're supposed to do, and we need to work on our motivation for those things. And there are some of us who don't have any uh, desire to actually do anything, right? We have an intention. We have a good intention in our heart. How many of you have already failed on your, on your uh, New Year's resolution? You had a great desire. <laughs> yeah, me too. You have a great desire to do something. You have a good intention to do something, but the actual completion of it, is failing. Paul says both of those things are so important. Both the desire and the action, a right desire, a right motivation, and right concrete observable action. Both of those things are so important. And what I will argue in a little while is that that's what Christian maturity looks like. Christian maturity looks like doing the right things for the right reasons, right? Christian maturity does not look like doing the right things for the wrong reasons, right? Or not doing anything but having all the right motivation. Christian maturity looks like doing the right things for the right reasons. And that's what Paul is getting at in these verses. We make the same mistakes that the Corinthians make. Where we either have good intentions and we don't do anything. Or we have bad intentions and we put all of the emphasis on the action that we are being a part of. If you look at the end of verse 11 and end of verse 12. Paul is going to make transition from this push to complete the work. Actually do it and have right motivation. He's going to make the transition from that talk into this talk about equality. Look what he says at the end of verse 11. He says, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Look at verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. It seems like in these verses there is a need, at least in Paul's mind, there's a need to pull back a little bit. There's a need to rein things in a little bit so that the request that he's making seems reasonable. It seems sane because he's used the example so far of the Macedonians, right? The Macedonians who were extremely poor and extremely oppressed and extremely persecuted. And yet they were giving with extreme generosity and extreme joy, making themselves even more poor for the sake of people around them. Paul says in these verses, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what I'm looking for for all of you. He's saying to them, basically, I'm not expecting you to put yourself in the poorhouse for the sake of the saints in Jerusalem. I'm not wanting to create a problem here in order to solve a problem over there. Or worse yet, in the next verse, he seems to say, don't think that I'm asking you to sacrifice on behalf of the saints in Jerusalem so that they can live in luxury, so that they can be fat and happy. That's not what he's talking about here. The request that he is making, what he is urging for them, is something that is very reasonable and very sane. He's looking for equality here. And so to do that, he talks about giving that is proportionate, And proportionate and reciprocal, right? Those are two big words that we'll talk about more in a minute. Proportionate giving. What he's saying here is that you give according to your means, or you give according to your ability. He says the Macedonians gave beyond their ability, but what he's asking for from Corinth is that they would give according to their ability. Now, that does two things. In the text, that does two things. The first thing it does is it puts everyone in Corinth on the hook to give, right? He doesn't say you've got to give $10,000. He doesn't even say you've got to give $100. He says you give according to your means. You give according to your ability. It puts everyone in the church on the hook when it comes to giving. And I want to put everyone in this church on the hook when it comes to giving. And I want to say like Paul does, give according to your ability. Give according to your means. Give what you can. For some of you, that will be a lot financially for some of you that will be thousands and thousands of dollars and for some of you that might be like the little old lady in the scripture that has two little coins two little coins is all she has and she gives those i want you to see that this idea of proportionate giving proportionate giving puts everyone on the hook to give i also want you to see that it makes everyone it makes everyone able to give a great gift It makes everyone able to give a fantastic and overwhelming and generous gift, right? Because some people are going to be able to give money upon money upon money and just pile up and write a check that has a whole bunch of zeros on it, right? And that's a great gift. But there are other people who don't have much and are going to just take those two little coins and put them in the plate and God is going to say, that's a great gift. That's a generous gift. That's an overwhelmingly sacrificial gift and rejoice in that. So I want you to know that the greatness of the gift is not about the amount of the gift. It is about the reality of the life and the heart of the person who's giving. Does that make sense? So when Paul says, I want you to give proportionately, I want you to give according to your means and ability. Number one, it puts everyone on the hook to give something. And number two, it makes everyone able to give a great gift, a glorious and magnificent gift that God will rejoice over. Okay? So that's good news for us, right? So don't think that if you're here today and, man, it's only a couple of bucks or it's only a couple of pennies or it's only this or that or it's only maybe some time. That's all you've got to give or some kind of talent. That's all you've got to give. Don't think that that if that's all you can give that that's not significant or that's not important. Jesus rejoices over this little old lady who just put two pennies in the pot, right? And we're still talking about her today. Maybe that's you. The idea of proportionate giving puts everyone on the hook, and it gives everyone the ability to make a great contribution. We will talk another day, because I know some of you are thinking this already, we will talk another day about the issue of a tithe in the New Testament. All right, We'll we'll talk about that at length. We've got lots of time to talk about giving in the next few weeks in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we'll treat that another day. We just don't have time for it today. So don't think that I'm setting that aside and ignoring that issue. We'll talk about it, but today's not the day. Fair enough? So Paul talks about proportionate giving in these verses. He also talks about reciprocal giving. Notice what he says in verse uh, 13. He says, For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. Equality. All right. He's basically teaching us that we are part of a local family. Right? Two things here. We are part of a local family. And there are going to be times when members of our local family are in need. One guy over here in great need. One guy over here with great abundance. And if you're the guy with great abundance, you should help out the guy over here that's part of our family who has great need. And that's part of what we do with the Elijah Fund offering. It's part of what we do with other budget stuff. We help out those who are in great need. Does that make sense? Paul says that's important that in the local family, the one who has an abundance is taking care of the one who is in need because there may come a day when those roles are reversed and the one who has abundance now becomes the one who is in need and the one who who is in need now becomes the one who has abundance and they will then turn that around and help them out now maybe paul is not talking about material things in this verse maybe he's talking about spiritual things as the gentiles give to the jews in jerusalem who are all christians now by the way as they give to them then they turn around and help them out spiritually by teaching them more of the word of god and the things of god Okay, But what I want you to see is this idea of reciprocal giving where the one who has abundance helps out the one who, in need, who is in need because the, the situation may change later on down the road. And I think about this not just when it comes to money. Think about it when, when it comes to our lives in general. Brad is in need right now. right? He's at home listening to this on the radio. He is in need. He does not feel well. And we need to help him out in every way we can with encouragement and support right? and, and help. And there's going to come a day when one of you is going to get sick. One of you is going to have a crisis upon crisis upon crisis. And guess who's going to be there to help you? Brad's going to be there to help you. And what a glorious thing that's going to be when he can walk into your hospital room and put his arm around you and say, let me encourage you the way you encouraged me when I was so down. It's going to be a glorious thing. That's the way it works in a local family, right? And so that's what Paul is talking about here when he talks about this reciprocal giving. uh, Your abundance to supply their need so that their abundance can supply your need. Life is full of ups and downs, right? Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we can help. And in a local family, it all works out together. The other idea here is that we're not just part of a local family in the church. We're part of a global family in the church. And we have brothers and sisters scattered around the planet who are in great need today. Brothers and sisters scattered around the planet who don't have clean water, who don't have food, who don't have medicine, who are dying because they don't have enough. And here we sit. Fine clothes, vehicles, homes, food, abundance. And I think from our abundance, we have an obligation to help out in their need. Especially our brothers and sisters, right? Especially those of the household of faith. And so my encouragement to you is in your abundance, supply the need of our family members in this global family that is full of reciprocal giving. There are two biblical illustrations of this, one of which Paul mentions in this text, one of which he doesn't. The one he mentions in the text is from Exodus chapter 16. Look at it in verse 30, verse 15. He says, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little had no lack. How many of you know what he's talking about there? Yeah, what's he talking about the manna the manna that came from heaven as God's people had been delivered from Egypt as they had been delivered from this oppression as they had been saved God provided for them as they wandered around the wilderness food right and he provided for them exactly what they needed and there was equality remember we're talking here about the idea of equality and there was equality everyone had exactly as much as he needed if you gathered a lot you had enough if you gathered a little you had enough why? Because God was providing it all, right? Because God was taking care of his people and he was providing for all of their needs. Now, did God stop providing for his people after the wandering in the wilderness? Did God stop providing for his people when they entered the promised land? No, absolutely not. God still provides for us today, right? Maybe manna doesn't come down from heaven, but he's still providing for us today, but maybe he does it in a different way. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2, you'll see this playing out in the early church. The Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, right? People are getting saved like crazy. Thousands of people added to the kingdom of God. And the picture at the end of Acts chapter 2 is that the church comes together. All these brand new believers come together, and they live together, and they share everything they have. In fact, it's a very eerily similar phrase at the end when it says, those who had a lot gave so that those who had little could survive, right? And everyone had according to his need. Everyone gave according to their ability, and everyone had according to their need. It's the same thing he's talking about here, right? And why does that work? Because God provides it all. And maybe he's provided a lot for you. Listen to me here. Maybe he's provided a lot for you in order to provide for someone else who doesn't have very much. Maybe he's given a whole bunch to you so that you can give it to someone who doesn't have very much at all. That's the kind of stuff Paul is talking about in this text when he says... Your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. God is the one who's providing. He sometimes, though, provides through us. So we've talked so far about the completion of the thing. We want to have right motivation and right action. We've talked about equality in proportionate and reciprocal giving. And then in verse 16, he talks about integrity. And this section, from 16 to 24, is all about the administration of the gift. And some of you don't care about this at all. Some of you are like, all right, just wrap it up, let's go, I don't care, I trust. I put my money in the pot, and I trust that it's going where it's supposed to go. But there are others of you that care deeply about this. You wanna know, when I put that money in that plate, where's it go, who touches it, where's it end up, who's watching over this, who's taking care of it. I'm gonna tell you all about that in just a second, okay? But the first thing we need to do is observe some things from the text. And in this text, Paul talks about three guys. He talks about three guys who are going to oversee this gift. Three guys who are going to be the administers of the gift that is going to be collected in Corinth. And the first one is Titus. All right? Look in verse 16. He says, thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. All right? Titus is going to be one of these players. And what you need to know about Titus is that he loves the people in Corinth. He loves them. And he is known by them. Titus is a known quantity in Corinth. They know his character. They know his integrity. They know about him in Corinth. He loves them. They know him. He also is doing this on his own accord. Look what it says in verse 17. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. Now there's another text earlier on that says Paul is sending him. Paul is sending Titus in order to collect the gift. And so there seems to be a contradiction here. Okay, which is it, Paul? Is Titus going of his own accord, or is Titus going because you sent him? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, it is both of those things. And so in that we see great harmony, we see great unity in the gospel, in that Titus is going because he wants to, and Titus is going because Paul sent him, and it's a glorious unity that's happening there. So the first guy is Titus. Loves the people, is known by them, and is going on his own accord. The second guy is the famous brother. I love that. That's all we know about him. We don't know his name, but he's the famous brother. Look what it says in verse 18. It says, We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread throughout all the churches. What you need to know about him is he's famous not because he's handsome or uh, what's the, Charismatic. He's not famous because of those things. He's not famous because of what he does. He's famous because of his ministry. He's well known throughout all the churches because of his preaching of the gospel. That's the way you want to be famous, right? I don't want to be famous like like Peyton Manning is famous. I want to be famous like this guy was famous. Famous for the things of the gospel. This guy is famous for preaching the gospel. He is also known by all the churches, and he is appointed by the churches. Look what it says next about him. He says, not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel along with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself. right, so this guy is not appointed by Paul. He's not even associated with Paul, really. He's an outsider who has been appointed by the churches to oversee this gift. Do you see how that's another level of accountability when it comes to this money? Titus is going to go, but so is this other guy who's been appointed by the churches. He's going to watch over this money as well. And the two are not in cahoots because they don't even really know each other. Okay? So we've got the famous brother. We've got Titus. And then we've got this other guy who's referred to as our brother. All right? Look at him in verse 22. It says, We have sent with him our brother, Whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. What we know about him is that he's been often tested, whatever that means. He's experienced. He's been down this road before, and he's passed the test over and over and over again. He's been often tested and found diligent. The other thing we know about this guy is that he's even more diligent now because of his confidence in the people at Corinth. Because he's heard about what's going on in Corinth and the great change that has happened there. And he's so excited to go to Corinth. So we got three guys. all right, Three guys who are going to oversee the administration of this gift. We've got Titus, the famous brother, and the other brother. Which one are you? The other brother, right? We're all the other brother. And there's a summary about them in verse 23. This is beautiful. In verse 23, you learn everything you need to know about these guys. He says, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. That's a pretty pretty ringing endorsement, isn't it? Titus, he's my partner. Titus, he's a fellow worker. He's with you. And Paul gives his endorsement to Titus. And then he says, as for our brethren, the other two guys, they are messengers of the churches. A glory to Christ. Messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. That's what Paul says about these guys. They are well known, they represent the church. Look at verses 20 and 21. This is the summary of of the principle that he's getting at. This is maybe the most important part of this section. Look at verse 20. He says, Taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. Right? He says that's what this is all about. The reason why Titus, famous brother, and the other brother are coming is so that no one can discredit us In regards to this gift, in regards to the administration of this gift. In other words, we want it to be transparent. We want it to be above board. We don't want anyone to be able to accuse us of mishandling your money. And then he goes on to describe it in verse 21 when he says, For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. This is huge, right? You see that? He says we don't just want to be pleasing to God in this. We realize that in our being pleasing to God in this, we also need to be honorable to men right? Because it would be easy to say, just trust me, I'm the pastor, right? It'd be easy to say, just trust me, I'm Paul, and I'll take care of it. Just hand it over, and I'll make sure it gets where it needs to go. That's a dangerous thing, right? It may sound very spiritual, but it's a dangerous thing. And Paul says, I want to do what's right in the sight of the Lord, but I also want to do what's right in the sight of men. I want to do what's right in the sight of men so that you can give with confidence." So. Along those lines, let's talk about First Baptist Church a little bit. How are we accomplishing that same goal at First Baptist Church? This is going to be a lot. You might want to write it down. Don't check out, though. Number one, we've got some ushers. How many of you serve as an usher? Everybody serves as an usher, right? Lots of folks represented in the usher system. And the ushers come by and they pass plates, right? And they pass it by and it's not hidden. It's not covered up. If you ever see an usher take something out and put it in his pocket, tackle him, right? Get him. It's not the way it's supposed to go. If you ever see somebody digging around in it, get him. It's not the way it's supposed to go. We do it all out in the open so that everyone can see, okay? So, So the ushers come around and they pass the plates and you put money in the plates, right? And then several of them, not just one guy marches down to where the safe is. Several of them go together and take that money, and they put it into a safe. Now, that safe is pretty cool. I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't want someone to go run off with it. But the safe is pretty cool because it's got this thing on the top. They don't, they don't know a combination and open the safe. The safe has this mechanism on the top of it where they just put it in, and then they crank this handle, and it falls into the safe, and it's gone. And so I asked someone one time, well, can, can you get your hand can you get your hand down in there to do it? And they said, yeah, you can get your hand down in there to get to the money, but it won't be attached to your arm anymore. <laughs> right? There's no way to get your hand through the thing the way it works. It's pretty cool. Turn it around and it's gone. Right? Can't get your hand down in there to it. So it's totally secure. Right? It goes into that safe and it is secure. Then, sometime, I don't want to give you too many details about this because I don't want to set this up to be robbed. Right? I'm not going to tell you when and where they count it or when they take it to the bank, because I don't want someone to inter- intersect it, take it, all right? But sometime during the week, three people who have been commissioned by the church, who I believe are bonded by the church, when they go, they gather together, and they get all that money out of the safe, and they sit, three of them, trustworthy, your people, they sit in that room, and they count it. Right, they count it and they make all these calculations and they get things in the right column and they take care of that. And then those three people go and they take it to the bank where it is deposited. So far, so good, right? Lots of layers of accountability. No one person handed money and put it in their pocket and just saying, "Oh, trust me, I'll take care of it." It's all very multi-person involvement. So the counters do their work. Then Jimmy takes over and Jimmy puts it all in the computer. So we not only have a physical record of it, we have an electronic record of it so that she can tell you how much you've given. She can keep records of how much the church has given and how much the church has spent. Jimmy Williams is fantastic. And when you see her, you need to say thank you to her. She keeps up with a lot, a lot of things around here. There's a lot of money, a lot of dollars flow through First Baptist Church. And she is watching over all of it, all right? And she does a great job. And along with her, we've got a finance committee. Five people on the finance committee. If you're on the finance committee, raise your hand. Look for those people. They can answer all your questions about money at First Baptist Church. They know everything that's going on. We meet with them monthly. The chairman of that committee, who is Rick Brockett, where is he at? Chairman of that committee is all the time talking to Jimmy about things. We've got a rule that if anyone needs to spend more than $200 at First Baptist Church, it's got to have approval from the finance committee. So it's not like our staff is going out and writing $1,000 checks for things that we don't need. No, they have to get approval from the finance committee. So there are all these layers of oversight when it comes to our money. finance committee keeps very close eye monthly on balance sheets, investments, properties, expenditures, requests, revenue. It blows my mind sometimes, all the things that they keep up with. And so you've got the finance committee doing their work, watching over it all. What else do we have? We have business meetings quarterly. At those business meetings, you are given a report about how much money we have and how much money we've spent and what we've spent it on. You get all those reports. If you ever want those reports between business meetings, all you got to do is call the church. All you got to do is call the church and ask Jimmy and she'll give it to you. She'll give you what you need to know because we don't want to hide things from you. We want to be very transparent when it comes to money around here. We also have an external audit every year. We have an accountant come in from the outside and review all of our records, review all of our policies and procedures. We have someone coming in from the outside to say, you need to work on this, you need to do this better. Usually they don't have a lot to say there. Usually they say, wow, you've got some good policies, some good procedures, and things are going pretty well. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. But we have someone from the outside come in and do that all the time. Is this helpful information to you? I hope it's helpful to the point that you can say, okay, I can give with confidence because this is all being managed pretty well. So we have ushers, crazy safe, counters, Jimmy, finance committee, business meeting reports, external audit. Let me tell you about the situation, the financial situation here at First Baptist Church. It's very rough. I'm not going to give you any, any details today necessarily, but very rough. We set a budget at the beginning of every year, okay? A number that we are trying to work within. And that number is reflective of what we intend to spend, but it's also reflective of what we intend to receive, all right? So we set this number at a certain point and say we anticipate seven, it's about $720,000 this year. We anticipate receiving about $720,000 through offerings at First Baptist Church in 2013. And at the same time, we say we also intend to spend $720,000 at First Baptist Church. We have what you would refer to as a balanced budget at First Baptist Church. Amen to that, right? We don't operate like the government. (laughs) We, We don't budget more than we expect to receive. All right, so we set this number, $720,000, what we intend to spend, what we intend to receive, but intention isn't always reality, okay? So sometimes our giving, our actual revenue comes in under, and for the last few years, this is the way it's been. Our budget number has been set here, and our actual revenue has come in somewhere under that, okay? This year by about, well, about 20000 20, $25,000, $30,000, something like that. Uh, It's come in under, our revenue has come in under our anticipation, okay? And that's not good. I'm not going to say that's a good thing. That's not a good thing. We passed this budget. You passed this budget. The budget didn't come from the finance committee. The budget didn't come from the staff. The budget came from the church. And you guys said $720,000, $720,000. We've committed to that together. All right? But for the last few years, our revenue has come in slightly under our budget. And that's not a good thing. And we need to pick that up. This year, we need to take in $720,000. That's the plan. Amen? Woof? You know where that's coming from, right? It's in your wallet. It's there. It's there. Give it, okay? But giving has come in under this. The good news. This is really good news. And you should be proud of us for this. Even though the last few years our budget has been here and our giving has been here, our actual expenditures have been here. So we are living within our means. We're actually living under our means so that we can put a little bit away for major projects or a rainy day. Yeah! Yeah! We, we are operating. This is good news. Don't get too excited, though, because we're still, remember, it's still here. But even though it's here, we're just spending here. That means that the people who are kind of in charge of the spending are responsible. We're not going crazy. We're not being irresponsible. We're not just spending when we don't need to spend. But you also need to know that because, it's, because this number is here and this number is here and this number is here, there are some things that we would like to do. Some things that we could do that we don't because the money's not there. Okay? So, so be aware of that. But know that that's the way the trend has been for the last few years. And that trend is going to change in 2013, isn't it? 2013. This is what I would love to see. This would be the most glorious thing ever. Is if our budget was here and our spending was here and our giving was here. That, and that could happen. And it wouldn't take a whole lot for that to happen. In fact, some of the goals that we as a staff have set for 2013, some numerical goals for 2013, is that we would have an average of 400 people in Sunday school per week. All right? That's a, big, that's a big jump from where we're at right now. But when you do the math, to get from where we are to 400 in Sunday school means only adding two people per each class. That's it. In fact, if we added two people to every small group Bible study class, we would actually average about 415 in Sunday school. That's pretty cool, right? And that's pretty manageable, I think. Don't you? So you know what you need to do? Every class. Every class needs to go after two new people. Go after them, whether they're inactive, members of your class that haven't been around a long time, or brand new folks. Right? We want to get to 400 in Sunday school, and we will rejoice and celebrate, and then we'll keep moving forward. Amen? Okay, so 400 in small group Bible study, that's one significant number. 450 in worship service, that's another significant number. It's the same, it's it's proportionate to the growth in small group Bible study. It's about a 20% growth. But it will happen if those new people from Sunday school stick around for worship. It will basically happen, and we'll only have to look for about 30 new people just to come to worship. Okay? This is all within our reach. And... So we got 400 in small group Bible study, 450 in worship, and the other number is 15,000 per week dollars. $15,000 $15,000 per week. And again, that growth is proportionate to the other growth. And if those people are there, and if those people give at the same rate the current people are giving, we will get to that without any problem at all. And listen to this. If we got to $15,000, if we averaged in 2013 $15,000 per week, we would exceed our budgeted revenue, our anticipated revenue, by $60,000. Whoa! And you know what we would get to do at the end of the year? We'd say, what can we do with $60,000, $60,000 extra bucks? We can do some pretty cool stuff. Some pretty cool stuff to help out somebody in need, to take the gospel where it has not been. Some pretty cool stuff. What, what would you do if you had 60000 bucks left over at your house? Some of you are thinking, ah, that's, a, that's about the price of the car that I would like to have. We won't buy, listen, we won't buy a car. I promise you, we won't buy a car. Are you excited about this a little bit? And I am. I am really excited about it. And here's why. It's within our reach. We have not set goals that are unattainable in this. Two people, two people in every Sunday school class would accomplish this. That's a piece of cake, right? Two new people in every Sunday school class will get us where we want to be for the glory of the Lord. So that's some of what's going on at First Baptist Church. We've got ushers and safe and counters and Jimmy and finance committee and business meetings and the audits and giving trends and goals for 2012. Let me sum it up by saying this. When it comes to money at First Baptist Church, two words, two words that I think of most, responsible and transparent. You can look back over the last several years at First Baptist Church and see when it comes to money, we are responsible. We are not spending ourselves into some kind of debt. We are not spending our our money on things that are not important. A few years ago, we cut the budget mid-year to trim some fat. That was a healthy thing. We are responsible when it comes to money at First Baptist Church, and you need to know that. And the second thing you need to know is that it's transparent. If you have questions about money at First Baptist Church, we'll answer your questions. Why? Because it's not ours. Right? It's not ours as a staff. It's really not even ours as a church. It belongs to the kingdom. In some ways, it's yours. And so we'll answer your questions. So I say all that to say, give with some confidence. And I think that runs counter to what's going on in a lot of things that we hear in the news. We hear in the news about a pastor embezzling money or a church squandering money or just things that are shady going on in the news. That's not happening around here. So don't let your lack of confidence somewhere else affect your confidence here. Your confidence here should be sky high for good reason, okay? So, look at verse 24. This is the final application of the whole thing. So I said all that to say this. Therefore, openly, before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for the boasting about you. You know what he's saying there? Give. He says, listen, we're going we're gonna to give uh, with completion, we're going to give with equality, and we're going to give with integrity. But give, give, give! I want to tell you about five ways to give at First Baptist Church. Five ways you can give to the offering at First Baptist Church. One is in small group Bible study. You know what? You know what you got to do to give in small group Bible study. You got to go to small group Bible study to give there. But every class has a black envelope, a black bank bag right and you can give there and someone from your class will walk it down and put it into that same system we talked about a little while ago you can give in smaller bible study you can also give in worship right we pass plates around in worship and you can write a check or you can put cash or you can fill an envelope whatever you want to do put it in the plate and it will get there all right those are the two standard ways to give another way you can give at first baptist church is through the office you can call our office and set up through your bank an automatic giving right where every month or every other week I think that's as, as frequently as you can do it. Every other week, we take money out of your, out of your account. It's beautiful. <laughs> you give us permission to do that, right? We fill out all the right papers, sign all the right paperwork, and basically we do this electronic transaction where you are giving and you don't even know it. I'm joking about the, the silliness of it. We do that. We do that at our house. We have it set up where every two weeks there is a, a gift that transfers from our account into the account at First Baptist Church. And you know what? When the, when the plates go by, I think, I already did this. Already did this. I got it set up where it's automatic. And it's not mindless. I don't not think about it. I think about it every time the plates go by. And every once in a while I can say, hey, I already gave. But here's a little more. Right? On, on top of that. We can, we can do things like that. So you can set that up. You can set that up, and we'd be glad to do it. It's all very safe. It's all very secure. You can just call Jimmy, and she'll get that ball rolling. So you can give in small group Bible study. You can give in worship. You can give through the office with automated giving. You can now give through our website electronically. Right on the front page of our website, there's a button that says click here to give, and you can click there and enter your card number. We're going to encourage you not to use credit cards, just to use debit cards. We don't want anyone going into credit card debt Um, by giving to the church. That wouldn't be good. Um, but you can go to our website. You can even do it on your phone, right? You can do it right now. In just a minute, when we pass the plates, you can whip out your iPhone and type in www.fbcharrisburg.com. Click the button, give. It's a pretty slick thing. And next week, here's the new one. Next week, there's going to be someone standing out in that foyer right there with an iPad. And this iPad has a little doohickey on the top of it. And you can take the iPad and you can say, oh, I want to give $1,000, because that's what you'll want to give, right? 1000 Ooh, I click $1,000 to the general fund at First Baptist. You click that and it will say swipe your card and you swipe your card and it'll process it and then you'll sign it with your finger. You'll sign your name with your finger and voila, it's done. That's pretty cool, right? Some of you are thinking, no way am I doing that. No way am I trusting that. Let me tell you a story I heard the other day. I heard a story about a pastor who was at a baseball game, Little League baseball game, and they needed to flip a coin to see who was going to bat first. And of all the parents at that game... No one had a coin to flip. So you know what they did? They flipped the debit card. (laughs) Because that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. And I think that if we can come along in that area, maybe there will be some more giving. I can't tell you how many times I've been at a service or an opportunity to give, and I open up my wallet, and I don't have any cash. I also can't tell you how many times I've been at McDonald's and the same thing has happened right? No money to give. But you know what McDonald's says? You don't need cash here? Swipe that card. (laughs) So we want to make that available. And we know it's not for everybody. We're not expecting everyone to give through the website or everyone to give at the iPad thing. We're we're not expecting that for everybody. But I think there are some people for whom that will be convenient, that will be accessible, that'll be better. And so we want to make that available. Okay? We're gonna be late getting home today. But this is good stuff. Three applications and then we're done. Number one is this. It is important that our actions be backed by right intention. Otherwise, the action itself is not pleasing to God. But good intention is never enough. Good intention by itself is never enough. So, one commentator said it this way, no matter how strong our desire or intention, they are fruitless unless they result in action. So the question is, do you have some good intentions that need to translate into action? Are there some things that you've committed in your heart to do that have never translated into action. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's small group Bible study or church attendance. Maybe it's evangelism. You want to to preach the gospel, but you just don't. Or maybe it's giving. Maybe you say, you know what, Chris, you're right. We need to be giving. And then those plates go by and you just don't do it. Or maybe you say to God, God, I want to give, but when the opportunity comes, you just don't. Maybe there are some areas where your good intentions need to translate into concrete action. Or maybe there are some actions that you're doing Where the intention needs some work. Maybe you're coming to church, but you don't want to. Maybe you're giving, but you don't want to. Maybe you're preaching the gospel, but you don't want to. For those, I would say, work on your intention. Because God says, some of those sacrifices you offer stink. Some of those songs you sing are revolting to my ears. Because your heart's wrong. So make sure your heart's right. Right action with right motivation is what Christian maturity looks like. Number two, give in accordance with your means and ability. Give a great gift. It doesn't matter the amount. Give a great gift. Give in accordance with your means and ability. Number three, give with confidence. Give with confidence because things are transparent and responsible at First Baptist Church. Give one way or another. Five different ways you can give. Give. And then finally, this is most important. Give because much has been given to you. And some of you are saying, wait a minute, I don't have a lot. I'm struggling to get by. If you've got Jesus, if you've got forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, if you've got a new heart and a new life, you've been given much, much, much more than you deserve. If you've got Jesus and nothing else, you've got a lot. You've got a lot. And so you give of your time and your resources and your talents because you have been given much, because God in His grace loves you and sent His Son to die for your sins that you might be forgiven and reconciled to Him. Let's stand together and pray. The ushers are going to come in, by the way, while we do this. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the motivation to give. Thank you uh, for opportunities to give. Thank you that we're at a place where we can give with confidence because of responsibility and transparency. Help us be faithful administrators of your gifts. Help us to handle them in a way that is honorable to you and honorable to men. I pray for folks in the room today who need to translate their intention into action. God, I pray that'll happen right now. That their good intentions will be translated into action. And God, I pray for folks who are all about action and have messed up intention. God, I pray that you will work in their hearts so that they want to do what you've called them to do. So that they are... Satisfied by doing what you've called them to do and they find joy in doing what you've called them to do. God, I pray that you work on hearts to bring good intentions into people's lives. And God, I thank you for how much you've given to us. You've given us your son. What what, what more could we ask for? What more could we desire? You've given us your son to die on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven and raised to new life. God, I pray that we will give like you give with generosity and with sacrifice and with joy. God, make us like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.